What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi, welcome to Salon Sluice. We hope you enjoy this podcast. We're here to investigate everything that could possibly be talked about in a salon with real clients, with real stories. If you like us, be sure to subscribe. So, uh, Leslie, you're going to go first today with your story? I am. All right, this is exciting. It's an old story, but it's good, and it's local, and I did not know it when I went into it. So I just Googled, you know, missing persons, cold case, and I found this one and I thought it was interesting because it said Vancouver and I didn't know at the time if it was Vancouver, British Columbia, or if it was Vancouver, Washington, and it happened to be Vancouver, Washington. It's actually about an hour's north of us. And have you ever heard of Fly Creek? No. Probably. No. It's very small, but it feeds off of Lake Merwin. There's a lot of people who have like houses and stuff around it. It feeds from there. And it's this beautiful stream. It's really wooded and... And the water sounds like at certain times, there a lot of people do kayaking and stuff through there, but it's not well-traveled because it's kind of, at least it wasn't back in the 70s. Um, when I did some research, there are some photos and stuff, but it doesn't look like it's like an open area. The water looks kind of rough in certain areas. It feeds from Lake Merwin, like I said, and to Yale Lake. The two of them kind of come together, and at the point is where it feeds off from the Fly Creek. And then it's about 54 miles from here. Like I said, it's very woodsy. It's not somewhere like you would take a picnic to unless you were specifically going to kayak or do some sort of other water sports, fishing or something. Back in February 24th, 1980, a father and son went looking for gold, like panning for gold. And they came across a shallow grave and some partial remains. And the only thing that was left was a full skull, and it had long brown hair attached to it, but all the teeth were in perfect condition. It had some, like, um, either unique dental work or a lot of dental work, so they figured this would be their opportunity to figure out who she was based on that. It was fully skeletonized. And here's a weird thing that they put all over the internet. (laughs) They said that... um, She must have been an athlete because she had a muscular neck. Now, I don't know how they would know that if she was fully... I don't know. How can you tell that without without any muscular? I have no idea. How can can they tell that from the bones? 
the density of the bone sometimes thicker or more dense. I have heard that before. They have like athletic build. They know that from their bones, like how, uh, like when you do strength, that's why we should be doing strength training is because we need to build up those strong muscles, those strong bones inside there too, so that we don't get osteoporosis. Okay. Okay. Well, that makes more sense. I thought it was silly, but maybe it really isn't. But she had a bullet wound to the back of her skull. Um, she was missing her hair, her torso, and her hands. But given she had been there for quite a while, things could have been moved around. But she was between the ages of 13 and 18 years old. At the time, they believed that she was either Hispanic or Native American. The Clark County Sheriff's had no idea who she was. And there was a detective, and her name is um, Lindsay Schultz. And she never gave up on her, and she had kept her DNA. And years later, Mrs. Schultz sent the DNA sample to Parabon Nanolabs. And they are known for phenotyping services. Yes. Okay. I've seen that before. And this helps determine what she would look like, like her hair color, which mm-hmm. they knew because they had, but her eye color, her skin color. And then they worked with investigators for genetic genealogy for any leads. After 40 years, this is like so long ago, they were able to identify a family member in that tree. She was a little nervous to call because... Of, you know, cold calling a family member and being like, hey, so we have these bones for 40 years. You yeah. know, she wasn't sure yeah. how it was going to come out. The voice on the other said, are you calling about my cousin Sandy? She was <sighs> like, bingo, they have a name. Sandra, they called her Sandy Morden. And she was born in 1962 to Andy and Marine, or Irene Morden. Andy was a Marine veteran who worked in the maritime trades on tugboats and providing services to pulp, paper, and logging interests along the Willamette and Columbia River. So now it's getting closer to home. Andy and Irene divorced in the early 70s, and Andy assumed a custody. After a while, Sandy was not Native American, nor was she Hispanic. She's just what year were yep. Leslie, what what year were the bones found? Nineteen eighty. And they were there for about a year and a half. She hadn't been gone too long, but long enough that nobody had claimed her or put out like what they thought a missing report. Anyway, Irene had another family before Andy that she abandoned, including three children. And then after she left the family of with Andy and Sandy, she created another family. So I don't think it's unusual or weird to think that this isn't kind of her behavior. So for her to just leave her child with the father seems to fit, you know, her history. So anyway, they were divorced in the seventies. It looks like she moved on to the Bay area. She did at some point put an ad in the paper that read Sandra Renee Morden, happy 15th birthday, love always mom. And Detective Schultz always thought about that, that ad. And was it just a mom that loved her daughter or was it a, a mom that knew something and put that out for a reason? And and nobody knows what that means other than, you know, maybe she moved away and just wanted her daughter to have something special and um, wrote that to her. But everybody always assumed when she went missing that she went to go live with her mother. She had lived with her dad, but her dad worked on the tugboat industry where he would be gone like weeks at a time. And, Nine months sometimes. Yes, a very long time. So it sounds like she was actually maybe in and out of foster care as well. Okay, Leslie Brophy was the cousin. And according to Leslie, Andy came home from work to find Sandy missing. Sandy had a dog, and it looks like a St. Bernard, and it was named Barfy, who was left in the RV. And apparently it had destroyed the entire insides of it because maybe it was trying to get out. At that point is when she went missing and nobody knew. And according to some articles that I read, her father, Andy, had hired a private investigator 
but there was no other mention of that. Like maybe he looked in to see if the wife, his ex-wife had taken her and maybe it just no went nowhere, but there was just, it kind of died from there. Leslie, the cousin mentions that the mom was not mom material at all. So she wasn't motherly. And I think we can see that by her history of moving on to different families. The reports, it says that the remains were there about a year and a half to three years and they were in a turnout in a shallow grave. So the only thing I could really find out about Sandy was, you know, she was a young girl. We know that she spent Thanksgiving with family in 1974 because we have a picture of that. And then after that, you know, she went to Wilson High School, which is my high school, which is even closer to home. What? Yeah. Wow. From 1976 to 1977. But then when I went to the alumni page for our high school, there's nothing about her on it. Her name's not even mentioned. Probably because she didn't graduate from there. But then there were people who had passed away that were listed that maybe started at our school and went to a different one. They are listed. So for some reason, it's like she just kind of fell through all the cracks. Which means she lived in Portland and Vancouver back and forth. And maybe when the dad was working, maybe they had a trailer or an RV that they traveled up to that area because um, the Amboy place where the dog was found is not far from Fly Creek where her body was actually found. Her dad has now passed away in 1999 and her mom died in San Francisco in 1988. I looked and I found that Lindsay Clark is still the investigator on this case. And I emailed her and she responded. No way. I did. did? I did. <laughs> so the first thing she wanted um, us to talk about and which we should have already. And Melissa touched a little bit is back in 1970s. It was much different than it is right now. As we know, there was no text messaging, no cell phones. It was a lot harder to get information out. And it's really hard to go back now and find probably old records. Was there a police report? If it was, it was handwritten and in a folder or something, right? We There's a lot of information that we don't have because it was so long ago. But she did want us to keep in mind to be respectful of the family and to not draw conclusions. To kind of keep that in mind when we're talking about this case. In any okay. case, right? So then I asked a few questions. Do you know her last known address? And do you believe that she was going to Wilson when she went missing? Because I thought maybe then somebody, one of her classmates would remember that she went missing to where maybe we start tagging people in Facebook and stuff about this podcast that would strike up some memories. And she said many yeah. of those details were in the media release. We know that she was back and forth between Vancouver, Salmon Creek and Portland Wilson high school areas. So she could have been around this areas and it's, you know, if we can just draw awareness, maybe, maybe we specifically won't solve the case, but maybe it will help you know, spark some memories. And then people will be like, oh, that's so weird. I do remember that she went missing, but this is what I remember. Or at least a timeline, a better timeline. So hopefully yeah. this will help spark some ideas. I did see that I had an article that mentioned Andy came from work to find their dog destroyed the RV with Sandy missing. Can you tell me where the RV was? And she said she believed it was in the Vancouver area, but that she didn't know. And considering the RV was easily mobile. So it could be anywhere, really. But you said you said it wasn't far from the creek. Well, there so there was a report that it was in Amboy. And then but I don't know if that was an address. Was that just a place that they were at with the RV? Again, there's different conflicting depending on where you look for like resources on this, there's conflicting information. 
So I did at one point see that it said Amboy, which I believe is close to Fly Creek, or at least in that general area. But it sounds like they bounced around a lot. And it, it could be because of foster care. You know, maybe she went to Wilson when she was in foster care, but when she went back to Vancouver, I mean, I have no idea. I'm just totally guessing at this point. I can't imagine they would send her across state lines with foster care. I think they would keep oh, her yeah. in. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. I don't think they'd, they'd go across state lines. But, yeah. Um, I think it's really hard when kids like that are bouncing around because people aren't surprised by the fact that they just are gone one day. Right. Um, I, I know that even when I was growing up, there'd be kids that were in and out and, oh, they're back. And, you know, it, it just was so common that you wouldn't have worried if they didn't show up to school. Right. So I think it's harder to keep track of people when it is in that circumstances and nobody knows to be worried or upset or, you know, wonder where that person is because, you know, they're just gone again. So when she was discovered missing to when the bones were found, I've read some reports say about a year and a half. And so in that year and a half, he assumed that she lived with mom, but he did hire a private investigator at some point to look for her. And then there was no other, there was nothing. He ended up passing away in that area, but I don't know. Okay, but when the bones were found, right, in 1980, a year and a half later, let's just say, they never connected the two, that that could be his daughter. Like, how did he not put those two together, or did he didn't want to believe it? Like, I have no idea how those two weren't linked back then. Again, we're relying on newspapers, we're relying on a different media than we have right now. But I don't know. Or maybe he moved. I have, I don't know why they didn't connect the two, but it wasn't until 40 years later, did they realize who she actually was. So, you know, like her composite picture and because they thought she was native American or Hispanic, maybe that's why he didn't believe that she was his daughter. Why was she not, she was not Hispanic or no. native American? No. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I think um, maybe he just figured, oh, that's different. And, you know, technology, we didn't have the DNA like we do right now. Yeah. So I think it was a little bit more difficult to track that kind of stuff. Do they know, when was the last time she was seen alive versus when the dad realized she was missing? Well, I was think. Was it like days, months? I think it was like a two-week stint that he was gone. But we don't know at that at what point did she go missing. The dog had destroyed the yeah. trailer. You know, what happened in that time? Yeah. Did a neighbor know that she was by herself? She's a young girl. And did somebody come in? Like, you know, she was obviously murdered. She was shot in the head and put in a shallow grave in a turnout. Is you know. she a friend? I have no idea. I mean, she must have had friends all along, but, you know, you might not have any close relationships when you're moving quite often. Yeah, she looks like a totally 70s girl. But, like, if you see her dad, he looks like a total normal dad, like from the 70s. Yeah. He looks happy. He yeah. looks like somebody we would all be friends with, you know, and she was just, you know, 10 years older than us. Anyway, that's my fun case. And I liked it because it hey, was I local. <laughs> and I didn't even I know it that. was. I do have to say, though, she doesn't look like she has an athletic neck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I do was need she, to say this, was too. Was she an athlete? It didn't say. I couldn't, like I couldn't find any information, honestly. Like, I looked up her name. I looked up her parents. I tried to find her cousin, um, like, on Facebook to see if I could message her. And it didn't appear that she was on or maybe her name is different. But I couldn't I find her say. to message her. She had, um, she mentioned that she had some 
old pictures of her, but um, other than that, she always wondered what happened to her cousin Sandy. So it wasn't like a family mystery, maybe, that she was missing. They just, you know, I think her mom was estranged from the rest of the family and wasn't in communication, and everyone just assumed she was with her, I guess. Anyway, so if anybody has information about this case or knows somebody who is from the area that might remember something, Detective Lindsay Schultz, L-I-N-D-S-A-Y dot Schultz, S-C-H-U-L-T-Z at Clark dot W-A dot G-O-V. That's her email. Is she still actively like investigating this? Or is well, it's a cold case. Case? It sounds like she's an investigator of that sort. She did respond to me about it, and she says she's always happy when people do, you know, talk about the case. But she yeah. also wanted just to make sure that we knew that times were much different back in the seventies. All right, Leah. Is it my turn? Let's hear it. Okay, I, I actually have two different cases that are kind of similar. The first one is we're going back to the eighties. We're going back to 1986. A boy by the name of Jeremy Bright disappeared. He lived in Grant's Pass, but he was visiting family in Myrtle Point, which I don't totally know exactly where that is. He actually disappeared on um, from the Coos County Fair. He oh, I read about this one. So he, and it's actually an Unsolved Mysteries. Which I didn't get a chance to watch it, but it was a case on Unsolved Mysteries. But he and his sister... Which his sister's name is S-T-S apostrophe T-E is the spelling of the name. He was visiting his stepdad. His mom was not there. So I don't totally get, like, the relationship with the stepdad and the mom. Like, why they weren't living together or where the mom was. Because it kind of sounded like the dad, the stepdad lived, um, lived in the place where he disappeared. He, on Wednesday the 13th, he went to the Coos County Fair with his friend. And that day he called his mom, Diane, from a payphone, who made plans to pick him and his 10-year-old sister up in Myrtle Point, is where they were staying, on August 15th. Later that day, Jeremy met with his stepfather at a tavern owned by his grandmother and was given money to attend the fair the next day. That was the last time he was seen by the stepfather or the grandmother. So this is a little bit important because I don't know why the grandfather and the grandmother or the stepfather and the grandmother just let the kid roam. He was 14. They let him roam without checking in with him, I guess. I don't know. On the 14th, he attended the fair a second time and the two parted ways at approximately 2 p.m. Sister and Jeremy went to the fair. They parted ways at 2 p.m. and they were supposed to meet up again at 5 p.m. near the Ferris wheel. He never appeared. And following day, after he failed to surface that day where the grandmother and the stepfather aren't worried or anything, like there's... So the mother shows up the next day at the stepfather's house in Myrtle Point to pick them up. Inside, she found his wallet, his watch, and the keys to their grant. They lived in Grant's Pass, to their Grant's Pass apartment. So this was like a full day later, she contacted the authorities. Law enforcement initially suspected foul play, but on August 23rd, so that was less than a week after his disappearance, it was announced that they were no longer suspecting foul play due to alleged sightings of Jeremy in the days after he disappeared. Some people reported that 
And other people, like law enforcement, believe that he may have run away with the carnival. Several individuals reported that they witnessed him being forcibly removed, including his sister, I guess, said that she reported him being forcibly removed by a man near the fairground Ferris wheel between 1 and 1.30. There were other rumors that surfaced that Jeremy, who had a heart murmur, he had attended a party and that it had been laced with like a drug and that other people had reported, you know, that he had fatally overdosed. And this was, this was another strange rumor that he had been accidentally shot while he was swimming. People tried to nurse him back to health at like a remote cabin, but then he died. He succumbed to the wound. But we don't know that's for sure. That's just like we a rumor know, that, that happened. That was just, that was just like a rumor about it. Basically, he has never been found. There was suspicion that a former babysitter, there was a guy by the name of Perry Lee Steinhoff, that he at one time babysat Jeremy. In January 1989, this is like a week after the case was on Unsolved Mysteries, he was charged with the stabbing death. This is a babysitter. Was charged with the stabbing death of a 32-year-old woman. And they then considered Steinhoff a potential suspect in his disappearance, but they never had any concrete evidence on that. And Steinhoff died. He died in prison in 2007 of a heroin overdose. <laughs> Don't know how you get heroin in prison, but anyway. Pretty resourceful. It happens a lot. There were like a ton of different rumors. It doesn't sound like things were totally investigated with this. Also conflicting reports. Why didn't anyone report him missing after the first day? And then the sister later said she saw him being forcibly put into a car or struggling with someone. He still remains missing and is presumed dead by his family. And that's that's all I got on that case. So that's crazy. So you said that yeah. he separated from his sister at two, but you said she saw him struggling at 1 to one thirty, I know. Yeah. That's weird. That's bizarre. Well, and then there are all these other stories that came out. Like, they just... Would somebody make up a story like that? Or being held in a cabin? Being... Well, so this... I, I read on this case, and I ultimately passed on it because I thought there was just too much, like, false stuff. And I think that whole... My, my take on it after reading it was... He was a pretty good kid. And he checked in with his family and he really had a good relationship with his sister. They wanted to like ride different rides or whatever. So they split up to go ride these different rides. And he had already been there the day before with his friend. And it had no mention of his friend being there the second day. It was just him and his sister. Yeah. But I just, I thought that whole thing about the party and the OD and the accidentally shot and all that, I thought that was just total bunk. And I thought, you know what, these are a bunch of kids who live out in Myrtle Creek. He was actually with those other kids. I felt like he wasn't going to let his sister down and not be there at five o'clock. I thought that was all bunk, quite frankly. But I did think that the former babysitter might have been a thing. Yeah. Obviously, somebody kidnapping him, because how old was he? He was 14. So that makes right. him so, our age, actually, because in 86, weren't you about 14? I was um, I was a freshman was in high school. I was 12. Yeah, I was 15. So yeah, and you know, 14-year-old boys can be anywhere from really big at this point to not. Yeah. You know, my son was still 120 pounds soaking wet and we were just praying for him to get some meat on his bones, right? So yeah. somebody could overpower him 
at that point and take him off the fairgrounds. But in, in a public a, place, though, that seems weird. It it does seem like if somebody took him, which is definitely a possibility, it would have had to have been somebody he knew. That's what I was going to say. It probably yeah. was somebody that knew him. Well, and Leah, yeah, you have to remember that at those years, it was not uncommon to turn a blind eye to parents manhandling their kids, being rough with their kids, dragging their kids out of somewhere. Like, that wouldn't have been uncommon to go, oh, that that kid's in trouble by his dad and his dad's yeah. him out by his ear. I don't think he ran away with this carnival or, like, ran away not bringing his wallet and not bringing anything. If he had a scuffle yeah. with somebody, he could have gotten mad and, like, went to leave. And then something happened then. Yeah, I just I just think it was super bizarre that nobody noticed he was missing until the mom came the next day. Well, and, and that, that I didn't remember reading that um, because the sister would have set, come home and said, well, hey, I had to come yeah. home by myself because I couldn't find my brother. Well, and also if she's saying she saw him struggling with someone earlier in the day, why wouldn't that be cause for concern from the sister Correct. and for the stepdad and the grandma? Unless he, well, you know, that? he would disappear every once in a while just with friends and stuff and go hang out with other people maybe that was sort of a common thing so they weren't too concerned and it wasn't until the next day when the mom came in I mean I have no idea I'm just trying to think of when I was that age and that some of the boys that were in our neighborhood they seemed like the type that would you know because we didn't have again technology you know you'd actually have to go to a payphone or you would have to go and call somebody versus just a quick message I don't think people were as in communication as they are right now yeah that's true I mean we did have phones and my, I can't imagine my mother if I didn't come home at night my mother not calling oh I would be in so much trouble that. yeah yeah and leaving your sister because she was younger yeah, she was like uh, leaving, 10. Yeah, leaving your younger oh, yeah. sister at the fair and not meeting her. She had to get home by herself. Again, they went to a fair at 10 and 14 by themselves. The parents were pretty open to Yeah, but this was stuff. Myrtle Creek. So I don't know. I wouldn't fair. even let my kids now go to Oaks Park. Well, now I you probably would. would. You, you would? would have, maybe I would. I don't know. Is that not right? No, I don't know. I would drop them off to go roller skating there, but like to go and on the rides and stuff? I don't know. I would let them let up. I would let I go in and I'd let them go off by themselves. Yes. For sure. That I would. Yeah, but I, I have say, done. You know, you have to stay together. I, I didn't get a sense from any of the stuff that I read. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but he was like a good kid. Yeah, it didn't seem like there was nothing about him. Well, there was nothing either way on it with like mixing with a weird crowd, uh, you know, a crowd that were kind of doing things they shouldn't be doing. But it also didn't say anything about like he was a totally straight laced kid and did everything he needed to do. So. I didn't see I didn't see information on either side of that. Oh, Leah, let's hear your second one. Okay, my second one you referenced, and I don't think you've talked about it yet, but you did reference it. December fifth, nineteen ninety-eight, a little boy by the name of Derek Ingebrigtsen went to Pelican Buttes, which is near Rocky Point, Oregon, near Klamath Falls and Crater Lake. They were planning on looking for a Christmas tree. At some point during the excursion, Derek, the boy, wandered away from his father and grandfather. He was reported missing that evening by his father and grandfather, who notified a passing motorist around 4.15 p.m. The motorist traveled to a nearby resort that was two miles away to call 911. Law enforcement came to look for him. So law enforcement discovered kind of like a crude shelter, which was several fallen logs, kind of near the area where he went missing. But search dogs were unable to detect his scent in there and then in the hours immediately after his disappearance his family and law enforcement discovered small footprints 
which made a loop from the location where his father had last seen him to a clearing near the road, and they also found a snow angel that they presumed was left by Derek. A snowplow had erased all tracks that led away from the snow angel, and so there were no additional footprints found. They did find several pieces of tough wood nearby, and he did have a small hatchet with him, and he was dressed in a snowsuit. Later that evening, blizzard hit the area which kind of ended the search effort there were many searches that were completed on foot and they had canines by plane they had a helicopter and several relatives also created independent searches eight days into the investigation they suspended their search but his family continued independent search effort one thing that i thought was interesting and a little bit bizarre the family said that he had grown up in the mountains and was used to walking 20 miles in steep terrain, which made me think, okay, you know, I took my kids on a walk on a paved trail. <laughs> I take them on a walk every day. A, t- a walk on a paved trail, pretty flat. And my eight-year-old, because I have an eight-year-old, starts complaining, you know, a half mile in. So that kind of seemed weird to me that the kid was used to walking 20 miles as an eight-year-old. 20 miles was a bit extreme too, but I will tell you that, so my brother and I were just two different human beings and he grew up loving to hunt and fish and walk in the woods. And he went with my dad all the time. He loved to cut wood. I thought it was literally like sticking, um, toothpicks underneath my nails to have to cut wood and carry the wood with all the slivers. And I would never be caught dead, you know, hiking in brush. In the rain, by the way, because hunting only occurs in the rain, it seems like. For staying out in an RV in the woods to hunt, like, that's just literally my worst nightmare. So, but my brother, at eight years old, actually, I think he was six, when we were cutting wood, and this is just a total tangent off subject, but he wanted to use a handsaw. And when I had a six-year-old, I was like, really? We're, now, now I'm thinking my brother was six and my parents gave him a handsaw. Well, he full on to cut his finger. He cut <gasps> a ligament in his finger and he had <gasps> surgery. Oh, my God. Right? But <laughs> this is... This is my brother. Like, he is, was the kind of kid, probably like a lot like that kid. Like, he loved being in the woods. He would, I thought 20 miles was a whole lot. But I could see how if this was this kid's jam, he okay. would be in the woods for a long, long time. So You know, I, and I, that's I, totally my oldest son. He's that kid, no doubt. There was one other yeah. report of a witness claimed to see an unidentified man struggling with a young boy in the area later during the day that he disappeared. The witness kind of ignored the event. They assumed that the man was the boy's father. And then there were additional reports made of an unidentified man driving a two-door Honda. They had a little bit of evidence, I guess, asking people for directions in the forest that day. I think there's more to that story because that guy in the car, they actually investigate that guy. Do you have that information? He, well, he's a, he, He's been known to actually be a serial killer. Well, I don't have information on that. There was, well, in 2008, there was a man serving a sentence for raping a 10-year-old boy that was considered a potential suspect in Derek's disappearance. But I didn't have other information on the guy driving the Honda. I think if you dig into that, as I recall, there's actually more to that guy in the Honda. The other part of that story that we mentioned the last time is that the dad, they went back there all the time searching for him. And the dad parked an RV out there 
and stayed there for months, hoping that the little boy would come back and find his way back. So these parents were beyond the straw to the nth degree to find this kid and search for him. And after I read this one, I was convinced for sure that the guy in the Honda had kidnapped him. Yeah. Gosh, what are, what are the chances you get separated from your family and then you get kidnapped in the middle of the woods? Right. Getting well, a Christmas that's tree? What, like, I mean, that had to have been the perfect storm for the kidnapper, honestly, yeah. because, like, to find if, if that's what happened. Right. To be looking for an opportunity like this. Well, what was I he mean, doing this- in the woods? Like, was he, you know what I mean? Like, why would that guy be out there anyway? How would he have known a family is going to be separated or was it just an opportunity? That's, that's just, what I'm saying. Like, yeah. I think maybe he had an inclination to want to do something like this and was waiting for the perfect moment. And that kid was near the road at that point, you know, because yeah. his, his tracks were near where the snowplow went. And the guy sees the day, sees the opportunity. And it just yeah, I think it was, a, it was a crime of opportunity. That's so kids. sad. His family, they could have just... You know, found him a couple minutes later had he not been taken, if that's the case, right? How sad. Right. Yeah. Like, you know maybe what? the kid was that... kind of sitting by the road, and the guy, that guy saw him, and, and the kid was like, oh, okay. And the guy was like, oh, I'll help you find your pa- family or whatever, and there he went. He left. You know? you know, I I have a theory about Washington and serial killers and Florida, there's some crazy people up in Washington, and it seems like big things always come from Washington or Florida. This wasn't Washington. This was Klamath. Oh, God. Yeah. Well, forget it then. That's even worse. Well, there is there is some validity to that because I have seen something about serial killers gravitating or maybe thriving in Washington, like the Northwest, the Pacific Northwest or something like that. Well, it's so dense. We have so much greenery and dense forest that mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to get something lost in there. And I know. Find it. I know. You know what? This sounds horrible. I was talking to my running partner the other day about how I hope people don't take advantage of this coronavirus situation because, you know, people could be going missing right now. We don't know. Yeah. You know? Or it's like. It's, it's like, like the 9-11. Yes. It's like those crimes that happened during 9-11, and it was because, you know, everybody was so focused on that, they weren't focused on any other happenings in the world, so people took advantage of it. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about, this is totally off tangent, but, like, with giving, okay, so people's giving that they normally give, or, like, to whatever organizations, I was thinking how this is going to totally change, like, maybe if I say I normally give to a certain organization... And I'm diverting that money. Well, number one, a lot of people are not going to be giving because maybe they don't have work and they don't have money. So that's going to affect that. But also, like, their giving that they normally divert to a certain organization might be going to help fight the coronavirus or go help donate protective gear for people or something instead of the organization that they normally get, you know, give to. So those, those organizations are going to be hurt, too. I think a lot of people yeah, are just waiting sure. because we don't know how long this is going to last. Like we don't know. There's so many other resources out there that, you know, state and governments are, you know, putting out there for us, but nobody knows how long this is going to last to know 
for people to give extra at this point. Right. Exactly. And how bad it's going to get. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I know with my job, I'm going to be very, it's going to be a long set of months if this goes on for a long time, you know, can't, I can't do much work. Um, okay. So I have another totally off, off topic, but same, same genre. Okay. Okay. So I have heard and read and everything that you need to have an N95 mask. What is that? To protect you. But then I keep seeing all of these, like Hanes is making, you know, masks for people. And oh, they're asking people to sew masks. Yes, sew masks. Exactly. Yeah. So here's my question. Riddle me this, Batman. How are these going to be helpful masks if they're not N95? That's what my question is. And also I was talking to my running partner about yesterday. Because she was like, those germs are super tiny, and they can get inside that mask that's not... Because the, the official mask, the one that you were talking about, I'm not sure if this is the exact one, but my friend is a, my neighbor is a nurse, and it is sealed to her face. It is like a custom mask that's sealed to her face, and that protects... It's almost like a scuba mask kind of thing. That's different. The N95s yeah. are those white-looking masks. But they, okay. do, they do have a little thing over the bridge of your nose to kind of tighten down. But they're, okay. they're a certain, um, like, they don't let certain things through. Like, uh, like uh, I don't know how to describe that. But they're not, they don't allow a lot of, a lot of air through. So when you are wearing it, you're like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> having a little trouble getting this hot air, right? You, like, can't breathe because of the mask. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know? You know what I found myself doing in the grocery store the other day? I was totally holding my breath. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> like breathing as minimal as possible. Like I would hold my breath. <laughs> like whenever I get near people, I'd hold my breath. Oh, <laughs> it's funny. Well, maybe it's compared to like this, the hand sewn mask versus the one, the N95s that you're talking about would be the difference between like hand sanitizer and gloves. It's still a protectant, but it's not as good as, yeah. you know. Yeah, well, that's, that's what I was thinking, too. And and certainly, if you had one on and you were sick, it's going to stop the flow to other people. But yeah. it's not necessarily going to stop the flow in to you, Yeah, the particulates, right? Yeah. Um, there's a lot of education that I still think hasn't gone on. Like, I was talking to one of my friends last night who works for an oncology office. And they have regulations or instructions on how to take these masks off. You do not touch the mask on the front of the mask because it may have particulates on it, right? Um, you yeah. have to take it off with the rubber band around your ear. So you take it off at your ear. You then take that by its elastic and put it into a brown bag. And you roll it up and you put it in the garbage. You do not reuse it. You do not put it down on your neck because... Anything that's on it then gets on your can get on your face and touch your face. Yeah. Um, you mean the nail na- mask that I use for nails? I shouldn't use for like two months. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I just use that for for dust, so I guess it's a little I different. Say, I think I think you're using it for a different thing, but the truth is that if you sometimes you don't use it and you sit it because you have it hanging there, yeah, it's going to get dust in it naturally, and then oh. you put it on and you're breathing that dust. Yeah, so, you're right. Yes, you should be at least protecting it or getting a new one every once in a while because it's doing you no good. Because exactly. Because now it's got dust that's landed on it. Sewing masks. I'm like, yes. hey, what are the masks 
four. Our our neighbors, our, my neighbors are sewing masks. Like Providence is asking people to sew masks, and they're sending people the patterns and stuff. Yeah, I've heard that. Providence put a thing out, like that's saying what exactly they need. And I I want to say like Joanne Fabrics, I think, is donating pre-cut fabric for people that just so they just need people to help sew them. Yikes. All right. I got a whole lot of questions about that. I I'm, yeah. I, I think if, if if I was a healthcare provider and helping, I would not want to sew that. Well, amen. No. Also, you don't. There's no like screening or vetting to the people sewing these masks. Yes. How does How do they know it's in like a clean environment? They don't yeah, know. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe they thank have like you. a sterilizing room or something. You think? Like, what are those things called? Evoclaves or avoclaves? Where they put it in and it, the lights and the... The UV light? Yeah. Maybe they have to do something like that. I don't know. I was told that they don't know how long the virus... And this is probably totally false, but... That, that they don't know how long the virus can last with the sunlight. Like, how long it takes. So, how long... We just put that UV thing on them to, to kill it. I'm sure someone smarter than me knows, but... I well, I think if, you, if you wash those in the washing machine, like on a high temperature, oh yeah, it's going to kill it. It'll kill it for sure. It for sure. But wouldn't that take your mask and make it all like weird looking? <laughs> unless you wash well, the fabric before, and then you got to iron it. Like we all know how that goes. <laughs> I, I, I yeah, don't maybe. Know. I mean, maybe there's good instructions on. This. Are they putting some sort of filter inside of them? No, not from what I've seen. I've seen like the do-it-yourself mask. Like, you know what? Thing. Maybe they're giving these people the when they come into like the emergency room. Maybe those, those are the patients. people that are getting it, but not necessarily medical staff. Like well, it's just a, well, a barrier. That's right. Maybe or maybe it's for um, non-coronavirus related like, med- medical need. Like yeah. maybe people that are having babies and stuff in yeah. another part of the hospital. They don't want them to use like the high end. Yes, because they don't have very many of those. Right, so they're not wasting the PPE on the people that do not need it. Yeah. But I know, well, two things. My One of my friends is pregnant right now, and she posted something about how they're not allowing even one birth partner in the room with her when she gives birth right now. Like, that's what oh, they're wow. saying. Like, her birth partner can't be in there. Her husband can't be in there. And the other thing is, um, my other friend's son had... Um, surgery yesterday and it was outpatient surgery but they made her go wait in the car while her son was having surgery oh in, my gosh i know and it was it was not anything not a major surgery it was like i said it was outpatient it was on his ankle but still i mean her kid was having surgery inside a building and she had to wait outside in her car <laughs> wow so, yikes this is crazy times i tell you crazy crazy times yeah. I have never, I never thought I would experience anything like this in a first world country like this. No. China, I just like, I think everybody was just oblivious to it kind of thing.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.